you don't have a Bible with you, please utilize the uh, Bible located in the seat rack in front of you and turn to page 707. Last month we began a study that will be taking us for some time into the future in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, If you need help locating it, it would be the second book of the New Testament right after the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Mark was written by John Mark, who is referenced several times in the Scripture. He was a co-laborer with the Apostle Paul, who had a uh, sort of a fall from grace and a division from Paul, but later in life, by God's grace, a second chance and became once again a great help and encouragement and laborer with Paul. He was a cousin of Barnabas, as well as a collaborator with the Apostle Peter. In fact, much of Mark uh, comes out of the preaching and teaching of Peter. There's a lot of correlations between the two, and most scholars believe that Mark's direct sort of, I mean, Mark was present throughout uh, much of what was happening uh, particularly at the end of Jesus' life there and, and uh, with the early church, but uh, had that direct connection with the Apostle Peter as well. Each of the Gospels looks at the life of Jesus from its own unique perspective. It's like different facets of a diamond. And when we come to the Gospel of Mark, the focus that Mark brings to the life and ministry of Jesus can be summed up in the phrase, uh, Behold the Servant. The key scripture of the Gospel of Mark is Mark chapter 10, verse 45, when Jesus says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Jesus came as a servant, and this picture we have at the table this morning is the most profound picture that we have of His service, giving everything for us. When we study the Gospel, we are not simply looking at dry, dusty words upon a page, a text from many millennial ago, a couple of millennial ago, but rather... When we come to the Gospel, we are encountering the very living presence and power of Christ Himself. Within the Gospel, embodied in the Gospel, is the very life of God Himself. And it comes to us reverberating down through the centuries and causes our hearts, even this day, to tremble before Him. This morning, the focus of our time together in the text that we will be studying is on the authority of Jesus. The first 13 verses of the Gospel of Mark in a sense, our prologue in, in, that bring us into 
this incredible, great story, great news about Jesus Christ. Opens with John the Baptist and then the commissioning of Jesus in His baptism and temptation. Perhaps if we were putting the chapter markers in our Bible today rather than when they were put in you know, many centuries ago. I mean, they were not in the original text, by the way, just in case you didn't know that. The chapters and the verse settings came in at a much later date. We would perhaps could put our chapter change between verse 13 and verse 14 because with verse 14, we begin the public ministry of Jesus. And last week we looked at this particular scripture, and I'm just going to read it again, beginning in verse 14. So if you have your Bible, Mark 1, verse 14, as it leads into our text for this morning. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. And without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Now, those of you that were here last week, you know that we began to unpack some, some sort of highlight themes that are then sort of worked out throughout the rest of the Gospel. We looked at the Gospel of God. We looked at the Kingdom of God. We looked at His invitation to come and follow Me and His commissioning to them that they would be fishers of men and their response to Jesus of obedience. Now, as we look at our text for this morning, beginning in verse 21, we see sort of a day in the life of Jesus and His ministry. Beginning in verse 21. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. And the people were amazed at His teaching, because He taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of Him. And the evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching. And with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits. And they obey him. And news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law... This would be Peter. His mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her and took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all of the sick 
and demon-possessed. And the whole town gathered at the door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons. But He would not let the demons speak because they knew who He was. Let's unpack this passage this morning. I believe there's some very significant themes, again, that we will find woven throughout the Gospel, but also themes and threads that are woven into our life and our circumstances and situations here and now today. Beginning in verse 21, they went to Capernaum. Now, Capernaum is not mentioned in the Old Testament, but clearly has become a city of some significance here in the New Testament. It becomes the sort of base of operations for Jesus' ministry in Galilee throughout His time there. As we note here, it is also the home of Peter and where his mother-in-law is staying probably with them in a, in a family home together. And it says that He... If we go back here. It says that they went into Capernaum and when the Sabbath came... Now, the Sabbath is of significance and importance to the people of Israel. Commanded by God to be a day of rest and reorientation in order to make sure that their hearts and lives stayed properly aligned and attuned with the Lord. On the seventh day of the week, on Saturday, they would remember and celebrate together the Sabbath. No work was to be done. The focus specifically to be on worship of God and understanding His truths and His law. And so they would gather together in the synagogue. Now the synagogue was vitally important to the ongoing life of the people of God. Of course, the temple was there in Jerusalem and at least three times a year for the great festivals, those who were living within 15 miles would have to come in to the temple to celebrate and to to be a part of those high holy festivals. And pilgrims from throughout the world would make a pilgrimage to the temple for those festivals periodically as well. But the ongoing, week-by-week life of the people of God came through the ongoing meeting together in the synagogue. Now, many of you know that this building that we are in here, purchased by Bethel 25 years ago, was purchased from the Sons of Jacob Synagogue. This very building was a synagogue for many, many, many years and decades. And so right here, Where we are sitting this morning, the people of God, the Jewish people, would gather together and they would come to hear the reading of the Word of God, the Law, the Torah, and then an extended discourse on that Scripture an ongoing dialogue so that they would understand and, and have a grasp 
of the law of God. They were taught by what was known as the scribes, but we think of scribes as simply people who copy down things. So our translation here calls them the teachers of the law. Right up front here, there was an ark with the ten words in gold, the ten commandments in gold on that ark. And inside of that ark were the scrolls that would be taken out each Sabbath day to be read and studied. And here we are as the people of God now, coming to hear, to worship, to study together. So, when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue. And synagogues were spread all over. Wherever the people of God gathered, they were there. Wherever they had scattered, they were there. In fact, it took simply ten men. You needed ten men. And whenever ten men, Jewish men, were in one particular geographic proximity, they were required by law to establish a synagogue. And so Jesus, on the Sabbath, went into the synagogue and began to teach. So what do you think he taught? What did he begin to teach? Well, we have a pretty strong indicator of what he taught. If we look just back a couple of verses to the verses we read right before we got into this passage. Verse 15 of Mark 1. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. There was one subject that Jesus taught on more than any other subject. It comes up repeatedly in his teachings and his parables and his stories and all that he does. And that teaching is about the kingdom of God. And so I want to begin there again this morning. I'm going to remind you of something I shared with you last week about the kingdom because it's essential for our understanding not only of what happens in the passage that we're looking at this morning, but what's going on in your life right now. We need to understand the kingdom. For most of us, when we think about kingdom, coming from our 21st century human perspective, most of us thinking about kingdom think about a geographic or a political realm. We think about a land that is prescribed by certain boundaries, either geographically or politically, and that land, that political Entity is what we understand as a particular kingdom realm. But when we're talking about the kingdom of God, we are talking about something different than a geographic realm. When we talk about the kingdom of God, we are talking about the revelation of the reign and rule of God. The reign of God has to do with His sovereign authority. The rule has to do with the principles and values which are established underneath His reign. So when Jesus says, the time has now come, the kingdom of God is near, He is announcing and proclaiming, and listen to me again, the Gospel carries the very power and presence of God. So, Just as He did in that synagogue, 
some 2,000 years ago, the voice of Jesus speaks to us this morning and says to us, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, I am announcing to you that my reign and rule has come. If you've been around Bethel for the last few years, you've undoubtedly seen this next diagram before. But it's the best way that I know of describing and helping us understand this reality of the kingdom drawing near. When Satan rebelled against God, took a third of the angels with him in rebellion against God, and was kicked out of heaven. And after earth had been created and all that was in it had been created, Satan came and tempted Adam and Eve. When they gave in to that deception and temptation and fell... Sin and death entered into this world. And with it, this present kingdom was established. This is the kingdom that is under the rulership of the prince of the air, the enemy, Satan. And it's the kingdom that every one of us living on earth today, we live in a sense within the context of this present kingdom here on earth. And this kingdom is a mess, is it not? But when Jesus came, He came and inaugurated and announced that the kingdom to come had arrived. This was the inauguration of His kingdom breaking in to this present kingdom. The kingdom is near. The kingdom is already and it's also not yet. Because this kingdom to come has not been consummated yet, but there will be a day when Jesus will come in the same way as He left. He will come again. And when He comes, His rule and reign will be fully and finally consummated and established here and in heaven and throughout all of the universe. And this present kingdom will come to an end. There is a point. There is a period on this present kingdom. But there is no point or period on the kingdom to come. For it will go on forever. His rule and reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. His kingdom knows no end. Amen. 
But you and I, like people down through the ages, and the people of God, specifically down through the ages, live in the tension between these two kingdoms. We have one foot in this kingdom and one foot in the kingdom to come. And we live in that dynamic tension between those two kingdoms. And so we see salvation breaking out, and yet not all are saved. We see healing break out, and yet not all are healed. We see deliverance break forth, but not all are delivered. We see justice coming and rolling down like a mighty river, and yet we see injustice yet all around us. We live in the tension between these two kingdoms. We feel it right in the very depths of our souls. Our scripture this morning speaks to us of the breaking in of the kingdom to come into this present kingdom. He came teaching with authority. What did he speak? What was he was speaking about the kingdom? What was what is today? What is the good news of this kingdom? If you go to another of the gospel writers, the gospel of Luke, Luke records for us. The first time Jesus is speaking in another synagogue, a synagogue in Nazareth. And He's speaking there and a scroll is taken out from the ark. And they open it up and they take out the scroll and they bring it to Jesus. And unrolling it, He begins to read. And He reads from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And He found where it is written... The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on Him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today, this scripture is fulfilled. What's fulfilled? What is this good news? What does Jesus come to bring to us? What is the kingdom? What does the reign and rule look like in our lives? It looks like rest, <laughs> a freedom from restlessness. We live in a world that is inexorably driven by fear and anxiety. Did you feel it just a little bit this week in the news? Did you just catch a little bit of that panic going on? Jesus is kingdom, and as Craig prayed, you know, God's bank is not having any troubles. He's got no credit worries. And 
And the kingdom comes and speaks to us. And Jesus speaks to us about a rest. A peace that passes all understanding. He says, my peace I give to you. I don't give as the world gives. <laughs> come to give you rest. For your restlessness. I've come to bring you release. To bring you freedom from the things that bind you. As Patrick gave such gracious, beautiful testimony of this morning, and as many of us this morning could stand before this congregation and give testimony, it is the Lord who brings us into true freedom. And He who the Son has set free is free indeed. He's come to bring us freedom from our bondages. He's come to restore us, to bring us freedom from and in our brokenness. You are not defined by your past. You are not defined by your failures and failings. Our God is the ultimate recycler. And there is nothing in your life that He cannot take and in His goodness reshape to be a vessel to be used, a vessel of His honor for His honor. This is the good news that the kingdom freedom from restlessness and from bondages and from brokenness. And we see that unfold in the lies. First of the man in the synagogue who was demonized. By the way, the Scripture never uses, and people use words like demon, possession, and oppression. The Scripture uses the word demonization. A whole spectrum of... Anyway, we'll talk more about that in another sermon. But there's a demonization going on in this man and the evil spirit within him crying out and Jesus in His authority releases him from that bondage. And news about spread. And there he goes to, his, to Peter's mother-in-law's home and the fever and it's broken! And she's freed. And after sunset, after Sabbath is done, they bring all the sick and demon-possessed. To Jesus. The whole town gathered at the door. And Jesus heals many. Many receive rest and release and restoration. The kingdom is here breaking it. Now let's come to the crux of what we need to grapple with this morning. The authority of Jesus you need to hear this. You need to, this. This needs to come down deep in your spirit. Why? Because you need to know the authority of Jesus for your life and you, that you live under His authority. And you also need to understand the authority of Jesus working in and through your life to those you work with and go to school with and live with in your home and in your neighborhood, 
And wherever you go, you need to understand this authority. The authority of the king. Three components to this authority. If you've got the tear off on the bulletin, use it for sermon notes. Get these down. Understand these. The first is this. There is, first thing, let me just define authority for you. Exousia in the um, Greek. It means a unique knowledge combined with a unique power. And it tells us here that Jesus' authority was different than even the authorities of the teachers of the law. Why? Because they looked back at all of the others and they had all of their traditions and they cited all of their authorities. But when Jesus came to them, He spoke and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you have heard it said, but I say to you. You see, Jesus' authority was not only the authority that came with having the ability to decide a matter, but Jesus' authority was the authority that compelled those who heard to make a decision. That's why the people were amazed. In fact, the, the connotation of the word amazed there is alarmed. They were alarmed. Because when Jesus spoke, He turned upside down and unsettled all of their carefully constructed comfort zones. And it's still true today. When Jesus comes and speaks to us, He compels us to respond. And that response is not simply, Oh, that was interesting. Hmm. But it requires from us a genuine grappling with the truth of what He has brought us. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe. All right. Three components to this authority. The first is the component of his message, the logos. What is this? A new teaching and with authority, like I just mentioned. He's unlike all of the other teachers who come along. He just says, boom, speaks it. The evil spirit does what? Boom, be muzzled. Come out. What authority? But the authority is in the logos. It's in the message. This is vitally important for you to, and I to understand in terms of where our authority comes under Christ. It's in His message. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that it has been made, and Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus' message was the very living Word of God. He was the living Word of God. 
And so His authority came because of the Logos, His message. It comes because of the ethos of His character. His character. The demon cries out and says, You are the Holy One of God! Now, the demon was not making a salvation confession there. The demon was attempting to exert control over Jesus because feeling, saying, if I can just, I know your name. If I can tell your name, I have control it well. You know, that worked really well for the demon, huh? No chance. Jesus is not about to be controlled by any evil spirit. But nevertheless, the evil spirit has rightly spoken the name of Jesus. In John 6, verse 67, Jesus has just done some teaching and a whole lot of people have left. Jesus didn't understand sometimes church growth principles. So then he spoke to the disciples and said, well, you don't want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve, listen to Simon Peter's response. I love this. (laughs) Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom will we go? Where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Hebrews 1 puts it this way. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things and through whom He made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. He's the exact representative. His character, his ethos, who he is. It flows out of his character. He has the right to confront unholiness because he's holy! He has the right to confront unwholeness because He is perfectly whole. Who else has the words of eternal life? Where else are we going to go? We got nobody but Jesus. And then there's His heart. Isn't this a beautiful... You know, you just read it over and you totally... If you're like me, you just kind of totally miss it until you just stop (laughs) and really listen to the Word for a moment. Such a simple scripture in Mark 1. Peter's mother-in-law struggling with this fever and and Jesus comes. I, I love this. He went to her. He took her hand. And He helped her up. What a picture of the heart of Jesus. He comes to us, He takes our hand, and He helps us up. That's Jesus. That's His heart. That's His pathos. That's that's how He operates. How He touches our lives. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, Matthew records for us. Teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Remember, compassion literally means to suffer with. 
Jesus came and he suffered with them. He had compassion on them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out work, workers into his harvest field. Now listen. These are the components of the authority that Jesus functioned in and functions in today. These are the components that he wants to bring us into so that we would function under and with his authority flowing through us. But it comes when we're in alignment with his message. It comes as we're in alignment with his character. It comes when we're in alignment with his heart. And when we are unaligned in any of those areas, our authority will be diminished. Does this make sense? And he's saying, ask the Lord of the harvest to send harvesters into the field. There's work to be done. Jesus is not physically present here on earth, but he's present in his body, the people of God, the church who are extending his rule and reign and proclaiming the kingdom is here. So what does that look like? What does the kingdom look like in action? Well, we see pictures of it here and we're going to see pictures of it throughout the Gospel of Mark. We see him declaring the truth through proclamation. We see that truth confirmed through the demonstration of power. We see that um, we see the truth demonstrated practically as people's lives begin to be transformed. We see that truth multiplied and reproduced as disciples are made. It's the same today. The kingdom. The rule and reign of God gets extended as His truth is proclaimed and declared, as that truth is confirmed through the demonstration of power, as it's practically walked out and lived and demonstrated through our lives and reproduced into the lives of others who reproduce into the lives of others. And so it goes. This is the kingdom in action. My last scripture this morning is from Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28. And Jesus said to them, came to them and said, this is the familiar great commissioning message, but listen in light of what you've just heard. This is at the end of the story. We're at the beginning of the story. But hear it afresh this morning. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. For surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. All authority has been given to me. Now you go. You go. You go under that authority.
and proclaim the truth and release that truth with power and demonstrate it practically and reproduce. This is the kingdom in action. It's the kingdom through us. Now this morning, somewhere in here, there's been an intersection between the Word and your life. I'm, abs- I'm absolutely confident of that. There is no doubt that there has been an intersection. The question is, what's the response that you might give this morning? Perhaps you're here this morning and you need the authority of Jesus to be released into your life because you need salvation. You've never received Christ as your Savior and Lord today. It's the day of salvation. You need healing. You need deliverance. You need rest. You need restoration today. Jesus is here among us to release His goodness, the good news of His kingdom into your life. But it doesn't stop there. See, that's the outpouring. The outpouring, it pours in and it pours out. Did you notice in the text there was something that really interesting happened after Jesus' mother-in-law was healed? First of all, Jesus is already turning stuff upside down in terms of who he's interacting with. So he interacts with this woman. He helps her up, heals her. And what does it say? Immediately, she began to serve. Now, in the context of the passage, it's clear that that serving probably, most likely, involved making a meal. You'd go to synagogue in the morning like you'd go to church here in the morning, and then you're hungry. And so she immediately got up and began to feed them. And yet, there's more to the Word than that. Because it's a ministry, and the, and, the, and the picture here is more than just serving a meal. She, she really began to diaconize. She began to minister out of the healing that she had received. When the kingdom of God invades our life, the natural response that must come to each of us, whatever our age, gender, background, experience, education, that is irrelevant to this one fact, that whatever it is, whatever God does, He pours in you so that His life will begin to pour through you. With the comfort you have received, comfort. As you have received, freely you have received, freely give. Give. Every area of your life, God wants to pour out through you. So, James and um, worship team, come on up. And um, prayer ministry folks, I need you to be ready because I'm going to ask you to assist in prayer this morning. That would include elders. and I'm going to just kind of open that up to prayer folks, elders, uh, ministry coordinators, lay pastors, folks. Yeah.
leadership folks. We just want to believe the Lord just wants to do some stuff here this morning. If you need prayer, if you're on, if you're one of those people and you need prayer, come and get prayer. But then start praying. So there's a song that we haven't sung in a long time. Oh, yeah, Jesus, your name. There we go. going to read you the words before we sing it because um, they're so true. Jesus, your name is power. Jesus, your name is might. Jesus, your name will break every stronghold. Jesus, your name is life. Jesus, your name is healing. Jesus, your name gives sight. Jesus, your name will free every captive. Jesus, your name is life. Jesus, Your name is holy. Jesus, Your name brings light. Jesus, Your name above every other. Jesus, Your name is life. This morning, the King is present and He's saying the kingdom is here.